I read this week that uh, if you if you make a combined income in your household of about fifty thousand dollars combined income, then you're in the top one percent in the world. Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, there are movements to occupy different cities across our nation, battling against the one percent. But we forget that if we look globally, uh, most of us fit in the one percent. Most of us there. But you don't even need to look at income to find our place in the 1%, you can look at drinking water. You can look at food and find how incredibly blessed and what abundance there is in our nation for food and for water. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. I want to tell you up front, this is not a message designed to, uh, to bring guilt to you over what you're currently doing. It's not designed for that. Now, if the Holy Spirit wants to work a certain way in your life, so be it. That's, that's fine. I won't stop that. That's not how the message is designed. It's designed rather really to push us and challenge us in what we can do, what we're capable and what we can launch forward in doing. So that's the goal this morning, all right? So uh, at Genesis chapter 21, that's where we're going to look in just a few minutes. So you can pop open to that place uh, in your Bible, and we're going to read a, a portion of that. I'll overview another portion of it. Uh, but let me just kind of jump into it and we'll, we'll go from here. If you were to kind of be asked about how much does water affect your daily life, you probably would answer, I would guess, well, water affects my daily life pretty greatly. I do a lot of things with water throughout the day. Uh, you may, you know, clean yourself with water. You probably cook with some water. Uh, you know, if you're a really good health conscious person, you probably listen to those six to eight glasses of water statements you've heard since you were a little one, you know, and uh, you try to drink that water. Some of you maybe do that through Dr. Pepper or something like that, but uh, you work on getting that water in you, right? But if we were to really stop and think about it, we would realize that our days are not just filled with water use. They depend on water use. If we would trace it way down to its barest core, we would look at, we get up in the morning and we probably uh, sleep maybe on cotton sheets, which uh, water is useful in developing the cotton. Did you know that? All right, taking it all the way down to the source. We brush our teeth, right, with some, with some water and we take a shower, we flush the toilet. Our kids sometimes flush the toilet and we use water to do those things, right? I mean, we get dressed in clothing that we probably washed in a washing machine, probably fairly regularly, at least once, maybe twice a week, we, we wash that outfit, right? Uh, we, some of you, you make coffee. Um, I'm not old enough to drink coffee yet, so I drink other things. But, you know, you brew your coffee, and you brew it, obviously, with water. But did you know those coffee plantations, they depended on water to produce the coffee itself, that you, uh, that you enjoy in the morning. Maybe you have breakfast, maybe a bread product. You know, grain mostly comes from farms, depends on lots of irrigation. Maybe you have some, some sausage or some bacon, meat products that use a lot of water as well. You could just go on and on and on through an endless amount of time tracing what we do back to water. And if we were to think for a moment that that water was eliminated from our daily life, you would also start to eliminate all those things that we just talked about because they would not be in abundance at all. So clearly water factors into our daily life, but did you know it, it also factors into our, our spiritual lives, the way we, we look at things. In, in the world's religions and in different cultures, uh, there's a lot of places that the elements of nature themselves are what's honored and, and worshipped. Wind, water, fire, and earth. I mean, they hold these in very high regard, of course. In astrology, you may know this, but each star's sign has this corresponding elemental sign as well. 
like Aries is fire and Pisces is water, and they're connected like that. Some religions actually worship these elements, and others have gods that they worship that are the god of one of these elements. We don't look that way at it in Christianity. In fact, we view things a little bit more uh, sacramental uh, than, than elemental. We look at ourselves, uh, we look at our faith, and we look at the things that are maybe unseen, faith and hope and grace. The Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. That's kind of how we look at things. And we have rituals, though, of communion and baptism. Uh, But if we realize it, the element of water, in the case we're talking this morning, or at very least the metaphor of water, it speaks quite predominantly, predominantly into our Christian tradition and into what we do. Obviously, in in baptism, uh, water is so important. It's a symbolism of what happens in somebody else, somebody's life when they pass from living a life without God to living a life with God and the cleansing that the water brings. It's both uh, ceremonial, but it's also literal in the sense that we actually go ahead and we do the dunking and bring them back up as well. And so it's an important factor there. But did you know that water is really threaded throughout the Bible? If you look throughout the Bible and we find these stories where water plays this predominant role. I'm just going to read through a couple of quick ones. Take a look at the screen. Uh, Creation. Creation begins with a wind from God sweeping over the face of the waters and then God creating life out of those waters. It starts that way. Then Moses, we find early on, he's the story of he's a baby floating in this basket of reeds in the water. Protection for this little kid as little boys were being destroyed, put to death at the time. And this waterway came into being. Moses parts the Red Sea, we find out, a huge, huge task. The flood and Noah in his ark. Jesus was baptized. Did you know that? Jesus himself, the son of God, baptized in the Jordan River by John. The woman at the well from whom Jesus requests a drink. And interesting how Jesus equates the literal water with the spiritual water in that passage with a, an equal sign between it there. The disciples and Jesus on the boat when the storm comes up. And then re- you remember the story. Jesus walks on water. Um, Pretty impossible task, that seems like. I've never been able to duplicate it myself uh, in all my attempts. Jesus walks on water. You know, I'm sure there is other stories that you might even think of where water plays a significant role in the story or is a, a powerful symbol or metaphor in the stories. But there's one particular story that comes to mind. We actually walk through it to a degree during our 40 days in the Word, the story of Hagar. It's a story that's actually shared by all three major religions. I don't know if you knew that. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all have this story of Hagar, and it's a prominent story. This is a story that it appears in the section of Genesis where it's recounting the the story and the history of Abraham and his descendants. They moved from Haran into Canaan and then later on into Egypt. And the wells of water figure prominently into these stories. In fact, it's where people moved and how they moved and how long they stayed in a location was dependent a lot on the water and the wells and the access in that time. So Hagar, he, she is one of Sarah 
she's one of Sarah's servants, or you might read in the Bible, one of Sarah's slaves. And so her job is basically to do what Sarah tells her to do. And we don't really have anyone in our lives, right, where their whole existence is, you know, doing what you say to do. Um, we certainly know it doesn't work with our kids that way. Uh, we've tried it on many occasions, but it doesn't work out that way. That is what Hagar's role is. And we find that uh, she is given to Abraham to conceive this child because Sarah was barren. God had told Abraham, look, you're going to have a child through Sarah. And they got a little impatient waiting and thought, surely we heard it wrong or something happened. And so they decided and concocted their own plan. And Hagar becomes the one that actually gives birth to this first child. Ishmael is his name. And we find that, that twice Hagar in the story goes out into the wilderness and water becomes part of each occasion. The first time Hagar, she's pregnant, and uh, apparently she was not looking kindly at Sarah. Uh, the, the, the eyes or the interpretation of the look was not good. And so Sarah decides to, to yell at her and treat her, as the Bible says, deal with her harshly. And so she runs away. She runs out into the wilderness, pregnant here. And the angel of God finds her by, the Bible tells us, a spring of water in the wilderness. And he tells her that she will bear that son, and his son's name will be Ishmael. Ishmael becomes a very prominent figure uh, in, in the Bible as well. And the name means, you may not know this, the name means God hears. And so that's what Ishmael's name would, would be called. And then by the spring, Hagar does something that no one else in the entire Bible does. In the whole Bible, intrigued a bit? You want to know what she did? She gave God a name, a name that would stick here. El Royai is what it is. God who sees. So she names God here in response to what God does here. This name in English, translated in English, would, would, this, this place would come to be known as the well of the living one who sees me. And so this story of going out to a well and God speaking to her and then her giving God another name because of how he speaks it becomes prominent, that location and that well, as it's connected to that. The second time Hagar goes out into the wilderness, uh, she's now sent away by Abraham. You see, what had happened now is Ishmael has been born, and uh, Isaac has actually been born to Sarah. The Lord kept his promise. And Sarah got a little uh, jealous or, or got a little concerned that Ishmael was, was going to receive some of the birthright, some of the inheritance that was due to, to uh, Isaac. And she got a little worried about this, and so she complained to Abraham. And Abraham thought, well, the best thing to do here is to go ahead and send Hagar out into the wilderness and send her on her way. Now, if you think about out into the wilderness, I mean, you're talking about going out into a nothingness, hundreds of, of miles of desert. If you've ever been out into the west part of the nation, if you've ever done the drive from Los Angeles, or from, excuse me, yeah, from Los Angeles out to Phoenix, you'll know you get in some desolate stretches there. You get in some stretches where there is nothing. In fact, you come over a little ridge and you look across and you see a freeway that appears to be three miles, but maybe it's 30 miles. It's just so long and straight and nothing. In the desert would have been very similar to this at the time. And so Abraham sends her out into the desert with, get this, he's very, very generous. He sends her out with some bread and one skin of wine. Or excuse me, water, not wine. A skin of water. And that, that's it. So she's got a canteen and a loaf of bread, and he sends her out into the desert for that. And we don't go to an afternoon picnic with so little as that, do we? 
And she's headed out into the desert here. Let me read to you from there what happens. Genesis chapter 21, verses 14 through 19. If you've got your Bible, follow along. And she departs and wanders about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good ways off, about the distance of a bowshot. And she said, Do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voices and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he, where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. This is the particular scene in this story that grabs me. If you can think of Hagar out there and her skin, her canteen of water has run out and she has nothing. And she's out in the middle of the desert with no water and a child, which seemingly uh, by how it's described is, is still an infant. And she decides in the story to put the child underneath a bush. She can't bear to watch her son starve to death. I mean, is really what's going to happen. Or to die of thirst is what's really going to happen here. They had nothing to offer the child. And if you think and you look at that, we w- it would be nice if we thought this only happened in biblical times or this happened in that story and it's this one isolated incident. But we know that that's not the case. Even thousands of years later, with such industry around the world... This type of thing happens every single day where there are mothers that right at this moment, they're watching their child die of thirst or of disease or of hunger all around the world. It's happening every single moment. UNESCO, the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organization, estimates that 450 children die every day because of unsafe water, poor sanitation or hygiene. Can I just tell you for a moment... I have no idea how to identify with that. I have no idea how to identify at all with not having water. In fact, if, if you're ever out and maybe you're, you're somewhere and uh, your mealtime comes and, or the, the time comes, but the meal has not come, maybe you're at a restaurant and it's five to ten minutes later that they deliver the food to your table, we say phrases like, I'm starving. Where's my food? I, I say those as well. Or, I'm dying of thirst, we say phrases like that. Maybe halfway through a short run or something like that. This is literal, literal that this is happening. I don't know how to identify with that. My imagination is probably you're in the same camp as I am. That it's hard to identify that that happens and that that happens. (laughs) Let's fix that. Happens all the time. Not that, but what we're talking about this morning. That really means that at the time that it takes for us to worship this morning, about 208 children, 208 children in in this hour and 15 minutes, they'll die. As Hagar thought Ishmael was going to die. And those statistics are just about children. There's over 1 billion people in the world who lack clean drinking water or lack access to clean water, period throughout the world. And for Christians, we said earlier that water, it's, it's symbolic of our relationship to, to God. It, it carries this image of renewal and promise and hope and cleansing 
that, that we use all the time. And it's through water that, you know, we're baptized and we're welcomed into the Christian community. When we come up out of that, out of that baptism, we shared it just a couple of weeks ago. We know that water is essential for life. It connects us to really the rest of creation, and it's a gift from God. We've said that often as Christians. But as a gift of God, it's meant to be shared. As a gift of God, I mean, it's meant for everyone. As we look in the Bible and, and God says, I will supply all your need, seemingly water would fit into that category, right? That God would provide this. So what's going on with this? One of the resources from the National Council of Churches declared this once, we recognize clean water is a precious gift of God, but too often we don't realize the global water crisis is ours to reconcile. It's ours to reconcile is what this source is saying. Isaiah says in the Bible, when the poor and needy are thirsty and seek water, but have none, God will not forsake them. Isaiah says God will provide. And while sometimes for us today it doesn't seem like God's doing that around the world. Well, guess what? He still is. God will provide. But God has said, look, you of abundance, you can help. You can provide. You can give out of your abundance. There's enough water for all. Really, all scientists talk about this. There's enough food and water for, for everyone in the world. It's just us being generous and giving of what we have. Listen to what Jesus describes in his word. He says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Now, that's pretty powerful. It's just providing a need. When I needed to talk, you listened to me. When I needed a ride to uh, somewhere, you gave me that ride. It's offering a need. Jesus is saying at the very core here, look, I was thirsty. I needed the very source of life. We only last a couple days without water. I needed the source. And you offered it to me. And that is really valuing somebody's life uh, to the core there. Just as you did this to the least of one of these, he says, you did it to me. Jesus is really saying in that sentence alone, look, providing needs such as water, that's part of my business. That's what I'm here to do. That's what I was called to do. And Jesus is saying, when you join in that with me and you partner with me in that, you're doing exactly what I'm about. You're doing exactly what I came to do. It's wonderful that, that we gather in worship services and that we praise God and we sing and we do what we do. In fact, you know, in, in my heart, I often want to push hard against our, our current culture and postmodern generation that says coming to church is not necessary for Christians. It's absolutely necessary for Christians. But coming to church and congregating, it's It's not enough to be about what Jesus is about. And that's what Jesus is saying in this verse, very powerfully, how he's saying it if we break it down. Listen to what a a church or a group of Christians rising up can do. This is a story from a woman in Uganda. Listen to this. At the request of the community where I grew up, a church development organization funded the construction of a water well project and trained 30 villagers how to properly use and administer water resources. The effects of the community have been like ripples in a pond. Before, when I was growing up, we did not have easy access to water. Now a new water point, villagers create an irrigation system that waters crops of bananas, mushrooms, and vegetables. With water, it has been possible for them to raise livestock. With livestock, they have milk that lowers malnutrition with a surplus to sell. With water, some are beginning to 
farm fish ponds and shellfish and sell them. There's more. As they drilled and built the well, villagers discovered clay that makes good bricks. Some villagers have become brick makers and sell what they make. Others have built more prominent housing by using bricks instead of grass. All of them work together to build a permanent school for our children. Water has brought surprising new life to the village. This one village and this one well that's put in. Water is a public good. It's a public good. And there's enough of it for all of us to plug into. One activist puts it this way. I need to have water. Enough for even the stranger. The one thing I cannot do even to an enemy is deny water. And so this morning as we're talking about this issue of, of water and tying it into to, to hunger to a degree, we need to recognize that we have the ability to make an impact. To make an impact with, with some people group, with some village, with some people somewhere that don't have access to this. Some people that are affected every single day from lack of water and what that brings. The malnutrition and the lack of health that it brings. And we can be a part of that when we plug in. Because I'm convinced that outside of God's community, outside of what the Christians can do, this issue will never be combated well. In fact, I've told you before, but I have little faith in governmental or any political party to solve these issues. Maybe to help at a time, but not to solve. But the Christian community rising up worldwide can fix this and bring a solution because it's about it's being about what God is about. Listen to what the African Women's Economic Policy Network said when they did some research in Uganda and they reviewed some existing government policies concerning water pricing and public utility management. It says when the cost of water is high, people who live on less than a dollar a day have to choose water over school fees or food or find alternative ways of getting water. People resort to unprotected springs, boreholes, and long-distance wells. Health problems increase from lack of clean water, including cholera, typhoid, diarrhea, malaria, intestinal worms, and skin-related diseases. Alternative water sources hold not only health hazards, but also physical dangers. Uh, Stand taps installed along the, the Nile require a great fee. Those who, with no daily income to pay the fee, fetch water from the river by themselves And women and children have drowned in the Nile, and even people have been carried away by crocodiles. They concluded this statement. When people have no money to buy water and no access to water, there is death. And so we have the opportunity. How do we make a difference, though? Uh, As a Christian community of about 140 people here at Windover, how do we make a difference somewhere here? Number one is we have to educate ourselves. Though we had a few quotes and a few figures, there's many, many other figures that, that we have to educate ourselves on and know what is going on in the world. If I close my door at my house, I don't really know what's happening in the neighborhood, on the street. I, I don't know. I don't see. But when I open up the doors or open up the windows or walk across the street and start to engage, I start to learn things. I start to learn that I have a neighbor named Sally a couple doors up who uh, is in her 80s. And that uh, though she gets out and still walks the dog and moves around, sometimes I think, boy, she could use some community. And we could walk over and spend some time chatting with her and connecting with her. I don't know that if I close my doors. It's the same thing here. When we open 
our ears, when we open our eyes to what's going on around the world and how we can work into it, we start to formulate solutions and answers in our head right away. Not long back, you may, may or may not have known this, but in Zimbabwe, uh, there was a cholera ec- epidemic that broke out, and about 80,000 people were affected. And that's huge. 3,800 3, actually died from this as well. When we start to educate ourselves and know that these type of things are going on in the world, and when we can trace some of these back to simple solutions that we're able to make, then our head starts spinning, and, and we start thinking of what we can do and how we can do it, and we can spring into action. Secondly, we can really conserve water. We can pay attention to our other water uses. We can pay attention to, to what we buy and what we do with our water. Now, I'm not saying that you need to feel guilty every time you take a shower, every time you brush your teeth, and, uh, and that, or if you, you brush your teeth and you leave the water on a, long, a little long before you realize, oh, it's just running, I should shut it off. It's not that we're pushing the guilt on that, but thinking about that we are all connected to some degree in what we use means not enough to be used by somebody else. And so when we start thinking about it and we start conserving, sometimes that means conserving our finances so that we can help somebody else who's not able to pay on their own or help a people group that may need some help in that area as well. And then finally, uh, we need to get involved in funding water projects. You know, a lot of times uh, in, in the church world, what we basically do is we sit back and we wait for the church to launch some program or first launch some project, and then we give to it, and we feel good about it, and, and we go on, and then the church sends the money somewhere, and everybody's happy, right? But that's not what God's called us to do. We're called each of us, each of us to rise up and say, what can we do? You know, it's true over the course of this project of this celebration of hope that our goal is that collectively as a church body that we would collect an offering that we can send and help. I was reading this week, though, that it takes seven thousand dollars to put a brand new well in a village or in a location that currently has no well where maybe they're putting pots on their head and walking to the lakes or the rivers to fetch dirty water and bring it back. It takes about $7,000. And I said, well, I just told our people we're going to raise $2,600. I don't know, can I go to them and say, well, okay, we're going to raise three times that, uh, this, this celebration of hope. Well, I can't go to you and say that, but I can tell you that $7,000 is what it takes to, to put that in. And then I can sit back and let the Lord's Spirit work on your heart the way He wants to work. He pushed and worked on mine this week as I read some of those numbers and thought, $7,000? First of all, I don't have $7,000. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, boy, we spend $7,000 sometimes on a third car for the the family. Or we spend about half that amount maybe taking that, that, you know, nice family vacation that we may go on. And though this morning our goal is not to bring any guilt on what you're currently doing, it's to push us and challenge us what we can do in the future. We're going to take that offering in a couple of weeks, and we're still going to have that goal of $2,600. But it could be this week when you think of that number of 7000 your heart's motivated to say, you know, I'm going to look at that savings account again, or I'm going to look at something big we have planned a year off, and I'm going to say, you know, we're going to, we're going to hold off another year The Lord might speak to you in a way. I can't say how that might be. But as the testimony we read earlier on the the well in Uganda, $7,000 can make that happen for a village. This week, though, um, we're wanting wanting to challenge our congregation on one level of empathy to, to walk with. You see, sympathy is when we feel bad for those people who have no drinking water. 
Empathy is when we, to, to some level, we feel what they're feeling and we go through, at least at some level, what they're going through. And so this week, uh, we have a challenge. Something you're not used to, something we're not used to, uh, but we used to be used to it. In fact, there was not a day too long ago when we were used to this quite regularly. You want to know what it is? It's, uh, it's tap water. <laughs> it's tap water. In fact, you all, you all have it. You turn the tap on. But we're not used to this anymore, right? I remember when I was little, I, I was probably about seven years old, the Sparkslits truck used to come around. Do you remember those? It had all the little glittery uh, things that, that sparkled on the side of the truck, hence the name, I guess. And I remember uh, before I became, you know, more holy than I was once then, uh, we liked to, um, to find a, a door at an apartment complex that had a sparkling, a sparklets, you know, a jug, five gallon, and we used to, uh, you know, snatch it. And we would go and to the park, and that became our good times during the summer, that five gallon water. I'm not particularly proud of it, and uh, it was when I was little. It wasn't like last week or anything. Um, but, but I remember from that point on, to some degree, we've been able to have uh, water filtration units in our house, we get bottled water. We have water delivered to us. Um, in fact, we're probably so much to the point that we look at tap water with just despicable eyes, right? Yeah. This week, though, we're going to call us all to drink the water that's available. The water is available right there without extra effort. And so we're calling everyone to, to drink tap water this week. It may not taste the greatest, and, and believe me, I know your water filtration units, mine as well, they filter out some bad stuff. Um, we're going to be okay for a week, all right? We're going to be okay. Um, and we've even, to help you out this week, we've, we have a cup for each of you that we're going to hand on your way out. And it says Celebration of Hope on it. And it's, it'll be a reminder cup for you that as you're drinking tap water out of that cup this week, that you're reminded that most of the world struggles in this. Most of the world doesn't even have that cup and tap water available. And so that's how, that's how we empathize this week. Uh, do, you, do you know that for us, uh, we can go to the store and we can buy water. Um, we can use our, our little pure system at our house and we can do all those kind of things. But do you know what the rest of the world would call that cup and tap water this week? They'd call it luxury. It'd be tremendous. They'd be the, the richest person uh, in their area for many places in the world. And so that's what we're calling everybody up to this week at, at Windover Hills is to take that cup and to, to drink tap water. We have enough cups for a couple for every family, and so we encourage you to take that and use that this week. Carry it with you to work if you need to do that and be reminded. Here's another neat thing that can happen as well. You'd be amazed how many people that don't know the Lord in your life that when they find out that Christians are actually about one of these issues in, in the world, uh, they want to know a little bit more about Christianity. Because the stereotype out there is that we're a group that we get together and our messages is about how to teach you to go out and to speak negatively about other people. <laughs> like it's a, you know, a five-step program we teach every week. But when people learn that, no, Christians, we're about doing God's work in this world. And so they see that cup, they ask a question, and you get to talk to them for a moment. This is what my church is doing. This is what it's about. And the, the doorway to talk about Jesus or invite them to come along next week is there. So I encourage you to use that cup this week. But there's more. Last week, you remember this, um, that we did a, a solidarity challenge, a food challenge. 70% of our world eats uh, a certain way, and it's, it's much, much lower 
than us. I remember a few years back when Burger King started to advertise the bigger portions. Remember, you had the double Whopper, but then they started pushing the triple and then the quadruple Whopper, and they were very proud of this as they were pushing it. I noticed now they've really backed off on that, and it's the garden salads that are being advertised as of late here. Uh, maybe a few calls from the lawyers. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, there, there's no access to that in the world to eat, to, to roll in and get the quadruple Whopper. 70% of our world eats about a half a cup of rice and a half a cup of beans a, a day is what they eat. And so we're calling you this week to join in that food challenge. It's a very simple diet. It's some type of oatmeal, grits, cornmeal, something like that in the morning to start off. And then in the daytime, it's some rice and beans. And then at night, rice and beans. And we go, you know, we go feast time, add a little, just a tad of meat in just for flavor and, and a little bit of protein in there in the evening time as well. That's what most of the world eats on. And so this week we're going to emphasize with them and work with them as we do that this week. Now, if you do that this week, I'm going to tell you two things are going to happen. Well, I'll tell you three things. Number one, you're going to hate it. Uh, so that's going to happen. Um, so just, just, just make it happen. You, you can do this. Uh, that percentage of the world, they don't enjoy it every day either. And they enjoy it far, far less than you because come Friday at their third meal, it doesn't end. It keeps going for them. Second thing uh, this week, uh, as you're thinking about it, is um, you're going to find that you're going to shop for a whole lot less (laughs) this week. You're not going to have to to shop for quite as much this week. And and that would give you the third thing is you're going to save some finances this week in your grocery shopping. And so we're going to encourage you as you save the finances, whether it be on bottled water, soda, or, you know, coffee, uh, your fast food for the week, maybe your trip to Rio Grande. Um, I happen to love that place. Uh, so, but even Rio Grande. So, so, did they sell rice and beans? Of course they sell beans, yeah. All right, you're right, you're right. Okay. You're good. But we're going to encourage you to put that money aside this week. Put it aside for our Celebration of Hope offering on May 6th. And on May 6th, when you bring that jar in or bring that collection in and say, you know, I sacrificed this to emphasize, and this is what I brought in, uh, we're going to see that offering reach a goal that we're going to send 100% to the things we've talked about this month. Now, this is not uh, just for you as parents. We want to encourage you to get the whole family on board here. In fact, I would loved if I would have learned these issues when I was nine or ten years old and understood. I was in college before I even understood that there's people hurting in the world. There's people that don't have what I have. So bring your family together and work through this uh, together as well. The nice thing is you can make a huge pot of rice and beans tomorrow, and it can last you all week long. (laughs) Just a few different textures throughout the week, but it'll be the same rice and beans throughout the week. You can make it. You'll be just fine. No one... No one will be now malnutritious this week. So I wonder, um, uh, can we do this this week? Yeah, that's not overly convincing. So you think? Yeah. Good, good. Hey, we're all capable, every single one of us. Every single one of us is capable. But I realize also for us, there might be more than a, a physical issue going on for us this week. There could also be a spiritual issue at the core. The Lord may be speaking to us and challenging us, and we're, you know, figuratively turning to God and saying, no, I'm not interested, God. I'm not interested. And there may be a spiritual thing going on. In fact, this may be this week 
the greatest exercise for you, not in drinking tap water, eating rice and beans, this may be the greatest exercise this week for you in being obedient to the Lord and being obedient to the things that God is about in our world and educating ourselves to what this may be. And so this week for you, it might be a very spiritual time for you to go before the Lord and to ask him, maybe challenging me, Lord. Remember the verse? He said, Lord, if there's, if there's any wrong way in me, speak to me, tell me about it. This might be the week to claim that verse as you look at these areas that we've talked about. Well, let me pray for you this week and, and then we'll, we'll go on. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the abundance that we have. We thank you for the blessing of living in a place where we, we, do, have, we do have water, we do have food, shelter, community. And Lord, we recognize that throughout the world there are, are many, many people that can't say those things. And Lord, would you forgive us on how often we've gone at those things that have been provided without a thankful heart? And would you forgive us of the times where we've even complained by what we've been given? And Lord, we recognize that even in your word, this is a problem. And so Lord, forgive us of those times. Cleanse our hearts. Open our eyes to the issue of the world. Lord, we recognize that we don't have to sit back and wait for a government to create a policy. Lord, that we as the people of God can rise up and start working now. And so, Lord, call us. Lord, this week and this month and this series, we thank you for that, that there are a few projects before us that we can work to as a church body. And Lord, I pray that you would bless those efforts. I pray that a, a $2,600 offering would be, would be nothing for you and this group of people this, this month. But Lord, I want to pray even beyond this. I want to pray that you would rise up each of us as individuals to, to have our eyes even wider and ask the question, what can I do even beyond these church projects? What can I go do? What can I be a part of? Whether it's overseas, globally, or Lord, something that's going on right, right down the road from us, just pray that you would challenge us and push us and that you would push us into action. And then Lord, could we sit back and we, could we just give you praise and glory as we share testimony of what you did and what you used us to spearhead and to be a part of. Lord, I want to pray for the one, though, that this morning, Lord, really at the core issue. The core issue is not what we've talked about. The core issue might be a spiritual issue. The core issue for them might be sitting back and saying, you know, I don't, I don't have, even have this walk with God. I don't even have this understanding of surrendering to God. Um, but I want to know more. If it's you this morning, this is a great opportunity to stop and just evaluate your own life and say, you know, what have I been living for? Have I been living oblivious to God? Have I been living oblivious to, to his great ways of living and just kind of walking my own path? And this morning, this might be the time for you to just say, it's time to get serious about what God has to offer my life and to living for him. Hey, you can do that so simply by just, just saying, Lord, forgive me of the way I've walked. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I'm going to live for your ways. You can do that this morning and say that prayer quietly in your heart and in a heart beat. You're in. You're one of his. And you can start this journey with him. Lord, thank you for, for those here. And I just pray that, that this would be a great week of challenge. Bless us and keep us strong as we walk through this week of solidarity, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you leave today, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask our, if our greeters would kind of pop up and help us with those cups. And if you would have at either door and they'll hand you one 
as you, as you go out. Let me share with you a couple of announcements, a couple of things uh, that, are, that are going on. You can look at, at the screen, and I'll kind of walk through with you as well, because, yeah, yeah. Hey, Next Level classes are coming, and we had a great time uh, this past Thursday night. We're expecting uh, about 35 or so. We had 46 uh, show up. Every single one of our classes had more than actually signed up, so that's a good thing. That was, that was fun. So maybe you didn't uh, make it this week. We would love to have you come this week. Most of our classes, they're set up where even though it's a continued theme, it, you won't be out of place if you come this week, if you missed last week. So it's Thursday night, 6 o'clock for dinner, 645 uh, for the classes. You're welcome to sign up on the back on your, on your way out or just show up Thursday night. Uh, it'd be great to have you for those. Um, if you remember, our Saturday of service is this coming Saturday. So uh, we're, we're basically calling everyone at the church to just be involved in service. Now, most of our small groups are, have set something up and they're working that way. But if you're not part of a small group or if your small group is not, you just be here at nine o'clock here at the church and, uh, and we'll send you out from there. Uh, each of our service projects are about two to three hours, so nothing super long gets you back in time for your, your rice and bean lunch, right? So, uh, so we'd love to, to have you join us that morning, and we'd love to hear what the Lord's doing in our service. Small groups are still going on uh, all the way to June, so if you've if you're been coming regularly, been part of us, but you're not in a small group, we would encourage you just to let us know on the back of your card that's right in front of you. Just write your name, write small group on the back, and we'd love to get you connected in a small group. Uh, we can get you connected as soon as tonight if you'd like to be in a small group, but we can give you details on that as well. And then finally, you know, our women's retreat is coming up uh, pretty soon. It's in September, uh, but there is, I understand there's deposit date on May 6th, right? All right. So May 6th, the deposit is due. And so uh, uh, this would be a really good time for you as women, you know, and, and women, we, we need a, a, a weekend just to have a, you know, a dad and crazy kid time as well, where no rules apply. And we know that only happens if you're not there. So, uh, <laughs> It's a great weekend for you to go to women's retreat, and uh, you'll have a great time. The, the, the talk of the ladies that came back last time was, was really good, so um, great. Well, why don't you stand with me, and uh, we'll sing one more. Our, our ushers will come and take our, our morning tithes and our offerings, and uh, then you go out loving the Lord.